Hello, welcome back to Interface. This is the monthly podcast, especially for education professionals, all about the digital world. If you're an educator, we are here to help you support the children and young people around you so you can play a part in keeping them safe, confident and happy in all that they do online. In this episode, we are talking about gaming. You might think you've never played a video game before, or maybe you're up until late on your Xbox every night. We will give tips for how gaming techniques can be used in the classroom. I'm Andy Robertson, a video game journalist specialising in families and games, and I've recently written the book Taming Gaming for Parents. It's February, so it must be Safer Internet Day. The theme this year is, want to talk about it? making space for conversations about life online. Now, one of the areas that we might want to talk about with young people and one of the areas that they might talk with lots of other people online is in the gaming sphere. So, Andy, delighted to have you with us. What is gaming? Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, so gaming, it's a strange term. Gaming used to mean gambling. If you were if you were into gaming, you'd be betting money. But more recently, we talk about gaming, we mean, we mean video games. And that can actually be really broad. It's not just Fortnite and Minecraft and Call of Duty. Those are examples, but it's really any interactive medium where you have something on the screen and you're using a controller to navigate it. And that might just be a very light touch story um, about, you know, about someone's life where you're just pressing a button now and again, or at the other end, it might be very technical and you have a really sort of a mechanical thing where you have to do very complex inputs with lots of buttons and sticks and the modern controller has many of those. And so it's, it's that and everything in between, which I think is helpful to frame the conversation. Yeah. So mobiles as well, of course, then lots of games on there. You have these kind of throwaway games these days as well, don't you? Kind of temporary games. Yeah. So it used to, used to have to have specialist equipment to play a video game, or you just have to go to an arcade to play one. But now really pretty much any device you've got will play, will play games, mobile phones, but also most TVs are capable of playing really good video games as well. And so Often people say, I don't play because I've got, I've got nothing to play them on. But actually, we've all got devices that could play games if we want to. Yeah. Are you a gamer, Bill? I am, yeah. Um, I've got an Xbox that I play on when I'm travelling and like on the bus or during. I use the drink quite a lot. So um, I'll use my phone to play games on. Yeah. While you're waiting at the dentist and all that. Yeah. The only thing I do is Wordle, Andy. Would you? Would, is that gaming, do you think? Yeah, definitely. A bit of Wordle of an evening? <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. And it has lots of those elements that... You have the sense of a score and how well have you done. It's it's social and so you're sharing what you've done and it creates conversation. Um, and it has that kind of, you know, bite size. You want to go back and sort of try again. So I definitely say Wordle's a video game. So I'm a gamer, you see, learned something new today. <laughs> so what about games in the classroom then for educators? I mean, Minecraft, right? That's the classic one. It's been used for many years in classroom and kind of different settings, mathematics and building and spatial awareness and planning and all that kind of stuff. What other kind of games are educators using or could use in the classroom? Yeah, we, we sort of think that there's a narrow few set of games that are good for the classroom. And often we think, oh, the kids in my class play video games oh, we can use Minecraft to do something. And that can kind of be the end of the conversation. So I think Minecraft's great, but the downside in it is that it kind of becomes a one-size-fits-all. And really, if, you, if you're tackling a subject in the classroom, there'll be a video game that is about that subject and will, will engage you in that subject in a way that a book or a film or a discussion or poetry or music 
wouldn't. And so really anything you think, oh, I might do this with by, by reading a book together with the class or by listening to a play or something, you could find a video game to do that. The challenge is, because games are new, finding the games that are a good fit. And that's some of the work I've done is is working with a teacher who has a particular topic or a particular group of children and thinking, well, what would be the experience that would be a good fit for these kids? Oh, that sounds interesting. So can you give us an example? What do you mean by that? Uh, I was with a class and they were looking at communication, a sort of a series of lessons around finding my voice. So kind of who am I, identity and how do I communicate? And so we used a video game called Dorf Romantic. Sounds a bit weird, but it's a very simple game where you get a stack of tiles and you place them down in the the world. And each tile has like a house or a forest or a river and you need to match them up as you go. And as you do, you you build little areas in the game. And that's kind of the challenge is that the better the connections of your areas, the more tiles you get and the longer you can play. So it's a game that anyone could kind of play without a big barrier so it's good for a class because obviously you'll have a mix of some kids who'll play lots of games and some who maybe haven't played as many but that set up and this was the intention that set up the kids to kind of work together to figure out well how do we do this well and so the first time they played it we just let them play it and it, it was kind of a bit of a mess and they didn't do that well we came back together and we reflected on what worked and what didn't and then they started just naturally having lots of really detailed conversations and lots of teamwork stuff. And often in these spaces, it's kids who maybe wouldn't take a lead. In this setting with the game, they were taking a lead and they were organising their peers and saying, what we should do is this. And like, okay, before we lay any tile, let's all agree where it should go. And would notice, oh, Jack's not talking much. I, I want to hear what Jack thinks about this. And just this this kind of lovely space. Gosh. So do you think there's a lot? And are we talking more primary then? Or second, you know, versus secondary? That was the secondary. That was a year, as I understand, a first year in secondary. Right. Okay. Gosh. I mean, you know, I went to school like a long time ago, so it was nothing like that. Bill, what's your experience? Have you seen games at school? In class, there's this one game called Kahoot that you got, like the teacher would put up on the board and then we'd all connect on our phones. So we could use our phones and it would be different quizzes. So we could do a quiz specific to like a topic we were doing in class or it would just be like a random, like a movie quiz or something like that. And we kind of used them in primary school, like little math games. We'd get like a login to a website, some word games, just all on this little website when I was in primary school, but never like something where we all, all could do it together. Well, besides Kahoot, but that was just a quiz really. And were those games you were playing in school, were they quite different to the games you were playing at home? Oh, yeah. At those different stages? And how, how yeah. were they different? Um, the games I play at home are all they're story-based, they're shooter games, and it's just like, I just sit and relax. And, but these Kahoot ones, like Kahoot, I'd always be on it, like try to beat my friends in different ways. Yeah, because what, what the reason I asked that question is that, that what we often do, we... We have something that we think we're using a video game in the classroom and really all we're doing is just using it as a little bit of reward. It's like, you know, if you read this book, I'll give you a sweet and the kids will do it because they get that reward. But in a video game space, the danger is we think we've engaged with this new media of video games and all all we've done really is just incentivize our old ways of learning by offering this fun thing that kids like to do. And actually, I'm, I think probably there was a lot of learning going on in the games you were playing at home. The school would have been oblivious to. And so what's exciting is joining those two things up, both the learning that happens at home, but also the gaming that happens at home and thinking, well, how could we do this in an intentional way in the classroom? 
Bill, I'd love to hear a bit more about what you play. Like you mentioned some of those games in school and at home. Is there something you're playing now? How's that developed over the over the years? Yeah, so I think the, the biggest game that I play is, is a game called Dead by Daylight. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like this horror game where it's four survivors and one killer, and you're all in this trial and you've got to try and escape the killer by repairing generators and then opening exit gates. I've been playing that game about five years now. It's it's the only game that I've really consistently played. Um, and then I've played kind of a couple of Call of Duties, mainly zombies. Yeah. I, I really like the horror games. And so Dead by Daylight, are you playing that with the same people? Do you have a little crew that you play with or you just play people online? I used to play with my high school mates, but they kind of stopped playing the game. So now I play with my uni mates. It is a good way for me to kind of keep in touch with them. So we just sit on like a FaceTime and we'll have a couple of us playing. How's that developed in that game? It's like, I've not played it myself. I know people who play it. Do you feel like how you play it has changed? Because like, you've been playing it for a long time. Has that developed? Yeah. So they always like introduce new characters. And every time they introduce a new character, there's like special powers. Um, and when you play with those characters, you unlock them. And then you can use them for other characters that you've you've also got. So it's, it's kind of every game is different because I'm matching and matching different skills. Like if, if I'm thinking, right, this game, I'll put my build so that I'm good when I'm running away from the killer or I'm good while repairing generators or I'm good at healing other people. So it's different skills, that I, different ways of play um, pretty much every time, depending on what character perks I've got. And you're saying it's a good way to keep in touch. What sort of things do you talk about? Like, is it, do you just talk about the game and it's like, oh, it's nice to hear their voice? We kind of just catch up on life. We'll talk about the game because we can, like, plan what we're going to do. Depend, like, the killers change all the time, so we're playing with different people all the time. So, they, like, we're planning and coming up with different things, like, we can do. Um, and we just chat about life as well. It's nice. Yeah, because that's a game. If, to look, if someone watched you playing it without knowing that, they'd be like, oh, particularly if there was a younger person playing it. It's quite, it's, I think it's an 18. Um, yeah. And it's relatively violent, isn't it? It's, it, it's, a, it's a survival horror game. But underneath that, what you're saying is there's this lovely way of staying in touch. Which you could, and if the parent hadn't realised that, had minimised it, yeah. you could easily miss that. And so that's a lovely little story. It's a brilliant example of... That whole thing about conversations about life online. What I like about that is that the game kind of means you can have those conversations without it being like, let's meet up and talk. And then you're all there. And it's like, what should we talk about? You know, it's, it's really quite hard, isn't it? Whether it's a parent and child away, university or whatever. But like with my daughter, we'll, we'll play a game and we'll chat while we're playing. And the, it's like on a car journey. You're just talking as you go and you can talk about, you know, quite heavy things. And it, and it means you've got this kind of support network that I'm sure is, you know, building your friends as you as you play, you know, it's not just the sort of minutiae of life, but it's the it's that's sort of a lot of the substance of what you need to play need to talk about comes up too. Yeah, I suppose any game that I play, it's always to chat with my mates and Is it? So you wouldn't I mean, because there are there are games obviously that are single player, but you're more drawn to the multiplayer because of the chat. Yeah, I've I've only completed a couple of single player stories. Um I've played loads. I've only ever been able to get through the entire story from on one of them, and it was a Star Wars one. But yeah, I like I can play games by myself. But I suppose if I'm by myself, um, I don't want to be bored, which is uh, another reason I play games. Yeah, that's great. 
This is Interface, a podcast for educators about digital and online life from the Southwest Grid for Learning. We will be back with our excellent guest in just a minute. The Interface podcast is all about keeping children, young people and education communities safe, happy and confident in everything relating to technology and online life. And the other thing to know is that SWGFL, the people behind Interface, have a whole host of support, tools and resources. We also have a number of helplines available. One of these is POSH, the Professionals Online Safety Helpline, which is open to any educators and professionals who need support with an online safety issue. Give us a call. Thanks, Jess. And not only that, schools and other organisations can download the Report Harmful Content button to add to their website to support any user over the age of 13 in reporting anything they experience online that they find harmful or worrying. Also, take a look at our 360-degree safe tools. These tools support a comprehensive, whole-school approach to online safety. There's also Project Evolve, an educational toolkit to support digital competency in children and young people. There is a lot available, and it's free. Free is always good, and you're right, Jess, it is a lot. And I appreciate it's a lot for you to take in listening like this. So don't worry if you've been scrabbling around for a pen or you're not sure where the pause or rewind buttons are. You can find all of this information online at swgfl.org.uk. And you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at swgfl underscore official. Also, we've put all the links you need in the show notes for the Interface series that you'll find in your podcast player. Thanks for sticking with us. This is Jess Macbeth and Bill Byers. I mean, you kind of mentioned, I think, something around about when we were speaking earlier about young people who might might be less engaged in school and using gaming or gaming techniques as part of supporting those young people. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, often, I mean, in a class, you have a range of, of kids who will engage for different reasons. But often the way that classes are run and the sorts of materials that kids can engage with in the class sort of leans towards is a bit more biased towards a particular type of personality or a particular type of skills and learning. And what's nice when bringing a game into that space is it kind of upsets that balance. And you can see often the kids in the class, the ones that are usually kind of getting the brownie points for answering all the questions, are a bit like, oh, how do I do that? But equally, the ones that maybe don't take part as much are then much more likely to be able to sort of step in and do that sort of thing and actually kind of realise for themselves, oh, I didn't think I was someone who could contribute. This is what the other kids do. And they would find themselves doing that kind of work. And so because the interactions and the kind of the invitation of a video game in terms of learning is very different, it can it can kind of attract a different response from kids, which can surprise the teacher, but also I think can surprise children themselves as well and can kind of do a reframing of like, oh, Oh, I, I do like learning about history. I just had never had, I'd never encountered history like this, where I'm kind of going into it in an embodied way. But often, we often say, well, why can't you stop playing that game and do your homework? Then you'd be <laughs> yeah. fine at school. And actually, <laughs> totally. that's not that's not the answer, <laughs> is it? Get down so, here, it's time for your dinner. <laughs> yeah, and so by joining by joining those things up, we can actually be a bit more detailed and be a bit, a bit more careful about how we're labelling different activity and sometimes a child could have done a, a, some really good work that if we understood it, we'd want to praise and encourage, but we don't understand it. And so we just criticise and try and feel like our job's to minimise this gaming. If we could just get them off the games, they'd be fine. Well, it's child's play, right? That's the attitude. Like, that's child's play. You need to come and do the important stuff. 
if we treated books like that, like if they could just stop reading books, they'd be fine. They'd just read Harry Potter all the time. But we wouldn't. We'd say, oh, it's great they're reading Harry Potter. At least they're reading. But let's get them to play some other, let's get them to read some other games. But I think in the future we, we might say, oh, they're playing, you know, they're playing Fortnite all the time, but at least they're playing a video game. <laughs> As if you know, totally. play, we'll understand that actually the playing of a video game is kind of a general yeah. good. Well, I sometimes have those, I sometimes have those conversations about, you know, I'd rather my child was gaming than on social media, for example, simply mm. because of all of those wonderful soft skills like leadership and problem solving and strategizing and team working and all that stuff that they're getting through and it's that thing about a goal isn't it all that all that stuff around about flow theory you know getting into the flow you've got a goal you've got skill at a certain level you're trying to achieve something that sense of accomplishment and mastery that you can get through gaming which a young person might not be getting in other aspects of their life something that they can you know get through gaming so the power of it but what do you think is the the barriers then to educators because there'll be plenty of people listening going yeah that's all well and good but you know what? i haven't got a playstation to use in class i haven't got this i don't know blah 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 like so what's the starting point for an educator that's thinking about perhaps bringing games more into teaching yeah i think the perceived barrier is a technology one like we think we couldn't play games in the class because we don't have complicated gaming equipment we don't have a big screen but most of those, in my experience, you can get around. I'll often just go into a classroom. If they've got a whiteboard or a projector, I plug my Apple TV into the projector and I'm away. Like there's there's all these amazing games. So that that is a, that is a barrier, but I think it's a, it's a bigger barrier. It's perceived as a bigger barrier than actually is the case. And also cost because you're using technology you've already got. But I think the real barrier is our lack of literacy around what games are available, a lack of resources about that is are aimed at adults, teachers, parents, guardians, to help them be ambitious for, for how they might use games either in the life of their family or in, in school and in a teaching space. And so I appreciate that the biggest thing I come in with is I just know thousands of games. You're the font of all gaming knowledge, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's what's reflected in, in, the, in the resources I create are trying to lower that, lower that barrier Half of the book that I've written, this Taming Gaming book, it's aimed at parents, not teachers, but the back half of that is just beautifully laid out introductions to about 60 games. And then the website that goes with the book, taminggaming.com, is a way to find games that's, that has jar is jargon-free and you can search for things. Like if you were doing a, a project on, on the wind or on fishing or on uh, geography or map reading, you, you, you put that into the search and you could find some games and then refine that. But that is still a bit of work to do, and that is still a barrier, even with the best resources. But it's really worth it. And so that's often what I'm doing is that once you can demonstrate, look what happens when you put a, you know, an hour's sort of time towards this, the outcome is, is just so positive for particular children, in, you know, more than others maybe. But the, the children that you want to engage often are those ones. So it's really worth getting past those barriers. Gosh, that sounds phenomenal. The other thing I'd seen on the website, I know we talked about this previously, was your pathways kind of approach. Tell us a bit about that. Yes, this comes out of the sort of realisation that we don't just play one game and then move on. When kids talk about games and you say, what games do you like? Particularly over time, they start saying, oh, I used to play this and then I enjoyed that because it was a team game and then I moved on to Fortnite and Fortnite was great, but then all my friends moved off it, so now we play Factorio. And so there's there's a real development in a life of a kind of a string of games. And at the end of it, they might say, 
oh, and actually, I really love designing cities, or I really love dinosaurs, or I really love planting forests or ecology. And those outcomes aren't usually just from one game. It doesn't all go back to Minecraft. <laughs> and, that's, and that's probably part of the thinking. It's like, well, we think it's just Minecraft, but what is actually happening here? And what you find in, in sort of the lives of people who have benefited from games is that they've gone from game to game to game over a number of years. And, and it's it become a very valuable part of their life, but then has very clear outcomes. And so those game pathways, what we do is interview an individual. We identify, well, what's the outcome? And then we sort of track it back. Well, how did this start? Like, where did this come from? And like, when were you first playing games? And actually those conversations become quite like therapy <laughs> because you're kind of saying, well, you know, how did it benefit you? What was the problem that you were solving with the, with playing this game? And, so, and then the result in the, on the database, we have these pathways, which are life stories that go through five or six games and say, by the end of it, this person wanted, was decided they wanted to be an architect. That's the way to do it, folks, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily, like, some of the outcomes parents would love because they're, like, a well-paid job. But equally, there'll be other outcomes which are kind of, you know, less worthy in it, but are equally valuable, I think, because they've taken that person's life in a particular direction and they've given them kind of the power and agency to do that, um, often in the absence of other things that might have done that in the past. You know, we're in a time when like, religion doesn't feature as, as heavily as it might have done and the family unit isn't always functioning. So some of those things, I think, are compensated by a journey into life where video games has kind of kind of just plugged some of those gaps um, in a way that's often hidden. And so those game, the game pathways on the database are an attempt to just uncover a bit of that. Fascinating. I mean, the other thing I'm thinking about there is parents, because what I do hear from educators is that kind of age old thing of, you know, child is using 18 plus games. You know, we're worried about them at school, but when we try to engage with parents, they're not interested or we're, you know, or we feel a child, I don't know, they're falling asleep all the time. We're worried they're at the game. All those kind of more of the negative kind of connotations that people might have with gaming. Do you have any pearls of wisdom there? I think the first thing to do is to not move on too quickly from those worries because they're legitimate. And the, the areas to sort of go through them and put them, like, put them up front is parents worry about the effect of violence in video games, like a, a playing a violent game. Surely that will desensitise the player to, to violence and they may, well, perhaps they'll be more violent when they play in the playground. Um, addiction, um, the games will kind of trick children into playing them more than they intended and there's this kind of addictive design concern. Roots into gambling, that the, the way you purchase things in games is often similar to, looks quite similar to how, how you would in a gambling space. Um, online harms in terms of strangers that might um, want to groom or sort of recruit children and then personal data. So those are kind of the areas I think it's important not to just sort of sweep them aside. Um, but I think what we need to do is to be careful about how we talk about them so there's some accuracy about it. And the first thing is to go back to where, what do we know about these things from a scientific perspective. And really what the truth is that we we don't know a lot. We know, we have some correlation reports that show, oh, there's correlation between this group of children who play more violently in, in the playground also play more violent video games. But that, that gets reported like it's causation. So it gets reported that these video games are making kids more violent in the playground. And I'd often get the set, that same correlation data about the radio. Like during lockdown, there was a correlation between anxiety and listening to the radio. And that gets reported as... Brits turn to the radio to ease anxiety rather than the radio causes anxiety because we kind of conflate this correlation and causation. So 
it's a kind of quite detailed work, but it's really helpful, I think, just to get us some breathing space to say, there's not no problem. We need to pay attention to this, but it's not as straightforward. If you do this, this is the outcome. And the, the kind of the real, I think, danger is that it's when kids are playing games on their own in terms of there's a separation between the parent and the teacher and, and the game playing. And so none of the usual conversations and the fun of sharing it and the kind of the ambition of parents to be like, oh, what are you going to play next? And all the usual stuff that we do gets lost. And so the child doesn't have that usual guidance into this world of gaming because we kind of feel like, if we just hold the line, they'll grow out of this. You know, that's our job is to just minimise games. Like, you know, if we just stop them reading enough, they'll move on from books. Um, but they're going to play games their whole lives. And so really our task is, well, how can we set them up for a really healthy, lifelong relationship with video games? And so that takes us into territory of being more, much more ambitious. So that's the that's the that's my general kind of direction of travel with this stuff is to say yes there are there can be problems the most powerful thing we can do is to engage with kids and what they're playing and the final awkward thing is I say is actually if we as adults find games that we want to play ourselves on our own in the evening rather than Netflix that just supercharges that whole thing and I know that sounds a little bit ridiculous like I'm not going to play games I'm too busy I've got better things to do start with Wordle yeah Wordle's a fine (laughs) place to start on a journey but the challenge is then we may play word and it's like, oh, that was an anomaly. And then we don't go on into it as if we found, but if we found a book that we loved, it would be like, oh, what should I read next? And that we know that there's other books for everything. Whereas we don't know that for video games. So a lot of the work I do and in the Taming Gaming book, there's a whole chapter on here's some games that people who don't play games would may find interesting and sort of go on that journey. Yeah. Fascinating. So, well, you know, I mean, gosh, time is marching on. So you've mentioned the Taming Gaming book. Uh, let's talk about kind of websites and other resources then. What's what's available for a kind of educator that's starting out or places that they might want to point parents to? Yeah, so on the kind of making sure things are safe and sensible side, there's a website, Ask About Games, that's run by the UK games industry. I'm the editor of that. And we do a lot of work to try and make it really simple for parents and teachers to set up technology so that it automatically limits it in a way that they want. That could be on the age that you play, how long you play, that spending sensible and is, is within, within understood limits. And I think that's a really good place to start. Then um, there's the website that I created alongside the book, which was kind of, I created, I thought it was just going to be a little promotional site for the book. We put these single pages explaining games like Fortnite and Call of Duty and a whole bunch of other games. And it just became very popular and it, it offers lists of games around unusual topics. So here's games that have a calming effect. Here's games that get kids into reading. Here's games about being a good neighbor uh, or here's about working with strangers or it can it can be quite in, interesting it can be quite edgy in a, in a healthy way and so that's a resource that now is uh, over 2,000 games and over a couple of hundred board games that is a really good place to go and discover it will tell you all the things you need to know for safety but really the direction of travel there is how to find games that you might be surprised about and that either in a family setting you, you would love your kids to play or in a school setting may do some really helpful work in terms of teaching and engaging in a particular subject. So those are two really good resources. Yeah, but there are lots. And, and one, one of the best things is to find someone who plays a lot of games and just talk to them about it. Thank you to Andy Robertson for chatting with us. 
Bill, what did you think of that? Um, I thought that was really interesting. It was cool to hear that video games can be used as not just something to procrastinate to and that it can be used to something that can help you learn. I didn't realise that they were quite beneficial for you as well and that it's not just a game, it's, it's about teamwork and it's about you know, talking to your friends. I thought that was really interesting. So Jess, what are our three takeaways for educators listening? Well, my number one is about the idea of using games to engage kids who are disengaged. You know, I mean, Andy, it's like it sounds so obvious now. But when Andy was, I was like, yes, of course. Right. Finding ways to connect with kids, because if they're not ready to learn, they're not going to learn. Right. So finding new ways to engage with them. And it really brings us back, actually, to that that Safer Internet Day theme, right, about talking about online lives and, and connecting with kids and really understanding what they're doing online. That I thought was gold. So that's my number one. What about what about number two? What, what have you got a takeaway? Um, yeah, uh, using games in classrooms, again, I, like I said at the start, I only really used Kahoot, which is something you look on your phone and it's you just press a button and it's something that the teacher has control over. It's, it's not as interactive as it would be with using actual games in the classroom and going around like getting the netbooks for that. What about a third one? So the engagement with parents. And this idea of encouraging parents. So, you know, if a parent comes in and they're worried or they're concerned or there's an issue with a child gaming, really like turning that around a different way and talking to parents about talking with their child about what they're actually doing. You know, not just having that automatic negative mindset that the gaming is bad and it's all about getting rid of the stopping the gaming and moving the child on, but actually engaging and understanding what the benefits are that child is getting. And then moving on from that, you know, families playing together, parents playing with kids. Wasn't it fascinating that he is playing a game with his adult child, you know? Yeah. Brilliant. So yeah, that's my third takeaway. I really hope this episode of Interface has been useful. Thanks so much for being with us. You will always find links in the show notes of these episodes to learn more about each topic. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app so episodes are automatically downloaded to your device when they are released. And we need your help. The more people that listen to Interface, the more chance we've got of being able to keep sharing the advice and support as we do. So please recommend us to a friend or fellow educator. And you can find us on social media at SWGFL underscore official on both Twitter and Instagram. Interface is a podcast series from SWGFL, part of the UK Safer Internet Centre. This is Jess Macbeth with Bill Byers. Interface is produced by Karis Wall with sound design by Joel Cox and original music from Alex Fraser. It's a bespoken media production. Produced by Bespoken Media.